Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. So good. Love it. Love seeing all your faces, even though it's raining. As a pastor, you will see over the years that rain has this um, effect on Christians. <laughs> it's like, it's raining. Oh, I don't know if I can make it to church. It's like... It's like they're not scared of the devil, but they're scared of the rain. So anyway, great to see all of you guys here. And I uh, really do hope that if you sign up for a live group, you know, um, consistently, eight and a half people out of ten in our church will be part of a live group. Eight and a half. So if you don't join a live group, you're in like the minority. And we will squash you like a little bug. <laughs> force you to join a live group uh, because we know how great they are. I love hearing, you know, uh, it's really hard to get into community when you see people on screen. Um, but when you actually get into a smaller group, you get to share life, you get to share uh, difficulties maybe sometimes, you get to share uh, the things that go on in your heart, the confusion that might be uh, uh, present in your mind at the moment, and people can come around and say, hey, you're not that strange, I'm going through the same stuff. And I don't really know what to do either. But maybe together we can try things out. We can uh, do what we think the Bible is teaching us to do and, and see what happens from there. And I love it when people do that. That's how, this is what discipleship looks like. Discipleship doesn't look like me standing in front of you guys, teaching you a bunch of stuff, and then suddenly you're like this holy disciple, as we will talk about a little bit later as well. So. So that, that, that's good. You know, join a live group today. I think there's seven groups all together. And they're meeting mainly Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays. I think there's one on Sunday evening as well. But it's all available for you in the coffee place. That's the moment for you. So, and you know, today we, we've got a great topic. Topic is how can Christians be so close-minded and say Jesus is the only way? And uh, it's a bit offensive, I'll be honest. But I wrote it, so I'm offended at myself. <laughs> but honestly, I think we might all know some people that think that Christians are close-minded. In fact, um, just recently, I put up a survey as part of my studies just to kind of understand people's attitudes towards church in our town. And I put it on Facebook, and I got 26 responses, which understandably is not huge, but who wants to do a survey anyway? So... Um, and then the, I was just asking a whole bunch of questions, really short questions. And one of the questions I asked was, for churches to continue to exist in the town of Big Park, what do they need to do or stop doing? Okay, and um, we have one out of 26. So I'm pretty glad about that. But one out of 26 said that churches need to stop existing altogether um, for them to continue to exist. And I'm like, yeah, right, mate. Not very smart. Um, <laughs> anyway, we'll leave that one dumb person. If you're listening, I love you. Highly <laughs> <laughs> down to the blue, truly. But there are a few. Let me just read some to you because I think they're quite interesting. Um, so remember, the question is for churches to continue to exist in the town of Big Park, what do they need to do or stop doing? First one is the. Uh, well, I'm going to read four. First uh, person, uh, I'm reading their answer for. <laughs> is um, forcing their views onto people who don't want them and they need to move with the times. Another person wrote that we need to be accepting of all faiths. Um, another person wrote that we need to make um, church more relevant to changing attitudes. 
that the person wrote, stop forcing their beliefs onto others, being accepting of all people regardless of religion or non-religion, being less judgmental of those who are non-religious or of a different religion. I'm just reading this out, so it's not me. Uh, being less judgmental of those who follow a different life path, for example, very, very, very specific, staying single, not getting married, or having children. So, um, for this person, I, I kind of, and I have heard that a little bit before, that churches sometimes harp on certain things, and um, make it really uncomfortable for people that's like, I'm trying. It's not like I want to be single, that I am single. And uh, to be honest, if you have experienced that before, um, and, and felt that pressure, I, I do understand, and I do feel that churches need to get better at certain things. But there's a sense that these people don't really uh, like what the church has to offer. And in fact, they do feel like churches um, don't really know that they are quite lame. You know what I mean? Uh, and this reminds me of an amazing story. I love telling stories. and. And the story that I have for you this morning is, is Beck and I went for a holiday in Tasmania early this year. And we had a great time. It was relaxing. It was like a throwback into the 70s where there was no internet and uh, people were smart and were friendly. It was really, really nice. There was a shop owner who came from Perth, went over to Tassie and said, I live here because it's like a bit more of a PG community and I love it better here. It was really cool. Anyway, we enjoyed ourselves, and part of this whole trip is that we we wanted to do things, we wanted to see things, we wanted to explore, and Vic is our activity coordinator. Out of two of us, if I'm the activity coordinator, um, the, the picture I get is of a couch, <laughs> snacks, and movies. Woo! Let's, let's, let's explore Tasmania. Tasmania <laughs> <laughs> TV, so it's all about catching fish, eating fish, finding some sheep, joking. Anyway, uh, this is an activity coordinator. We did lots of great stuff. In fact, she hit the nail on the head with, uh, uh, with most of the activities. We went to a place called Wine Glass Bay, which was beautiful. The water was pristine. You could literally see the bottom of this um, bay. Uh, it was too cold to swim. Really wanted to swim. Uh, but another thing I discovered is why humans created something called escalators. We must have walked about 600 stairs. I couldn't feel my butt for the next three days. <laughs> um, so I thank the Lord that we live in Perth and not Tasmania. <laughs> but one last day, and we did all sorts of different things. We saw lots of history, lots of culture. Um, and then we got to the lawn system. And Vic was really excited, and I was really excited too, about a place called Grindelwald. Sounds like something out of Harry Potter. No, it's a town, it's a little town, suburb, I don't know, uh, and, and a, a place in Lawn System, 20, no, not even 15 minutes out of Lawn System. And basically, in the app, it looked amazing. I think I got a picture of, of, of it, so it's just that we have it. That's it. There's Grindelwald, right? And we saw his picture, and we're like, it's, it's, it's a Swiss town in Tassie. <laughs> How amazing. We were like, okay, we are going. Grindelwald, and we're going to give a whole afternoon to Grindelwald. We are going to understand Swiss architecture, and we're going to appreciate it. It's going to be amazing. We are going to eat Swiss chocolate, because that's what you do in Switzerland. Yeah? Yeah? Anyone go to Switzerland and not have any chocolate? You're weird. Exactly. <laughs> so we, 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 
we planned this out, we actually said no to other attractions because we wanted to give a whole afternoon to Grindelwald. Grindelwald sucked. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> so bad. Like that hit like 10 out of 10 with all the activities. This one, she hit a minus 10. <laughs> minus 10, wasn't it, Vic? It was so bad. Let me tell you why. Number one, all the architecture were chalets, which means you could not e examine anything other than the outside of them. And it's kind of like, if you want to appreciate Swiss architecture, you need to see a little bit more than just the outside. Plus, tourists are staying there, so you don't want to be like, oh, look at this place. And they're kind of like, what are some weirdos still standing out there for? And so you, you couldn't really appreciate tons of the architecture. And then, that is the town center, and that's it. <laughs> Honestly, they took the one shot that they could. There's nothing else. There are six shops in Grindelwald. Six. Let me tell you what those six are. <laughs> one is an arcade that was shut. It was under maintenance. We don't know when they were ever going to open. So much for switch engineering. There was a ladies' fashion shop. Fashion is a um, stretch. <laughs> ladies' covering is probably the way we would describe them. There was a cafe, which um, probably is more of a lunch bar. I've got nothing against lunch bars, but when you go to Swiss town, I want a nice cafe. It was a lunch bar selling Chico rolls and pies. Uh, <laughs> Swiss about this. Um, there was a, what, what else was there? There was a souvenir shop. That's okay. We spent a little time looking around there. There was a mini golf um, shop. Not really a shop, but you play mini golf, and so you went. So obviously, we didn't really feel like mini golf, so we didn't do that. And then there was a chocolate and lolly shop, which didn't make their own chocolates. It was literally, they imported it from somewhere else. So Grindelwald could not be more disappointing. <laughs> we were planning to spend three hours, four hours there. Half an hour is a stretch. Half an hour is like, we came all the way here 15 minutes out of um, And we were expecting to see something spectacular, but this is like, I'm trying to make this more exciting, and I can't. If we didn't bring our own lunch, because we were trying to save a bit of money, we, we literally would have probably left after 20 minutes. We were there for about an hour because we were like, okay, it's, it's still nice, has the air, and so we stayed. But I wonder whether some people look at um, Christianity that way. Because when you were in a long system, right, there were these billboards, literal billboards, saying you must go to Grindelwald. After we went to Grindelwald, we saw that. It's like, those smiling faces are fake! How <laughs> would you smile at a place like that? It's like you smiling at a local Coles. It's like, there's nothing here. And it was like, you are making it look like it's so amazing, but you don't know. You've got six shops, and I'd rather go to Carousel. <laughs> and I wonder whether people look at Christianity and it's like, stop trying to get me to your six shop town. Because I've got better options, right? I've got things that are out there that is more exciting. So why do Christians um, talk about Christianity as though it's so amazing? Is it really that amazing? Does it really have something that everyone needs? Should we talk as though that is the case? 
But a big thing about this is that we need to understand how we see truth. And truth is a really important thing. And to help you understand um, truth, I want to talk about something from a compass. Everyone has a compass or know what a compass is? Points north, yes? Well, it doesn't. Compasses don't actually point to north. They point to something called magnetic north. Has it hit anyone yet? Oh, I can't trust my compass. So, if you follow a compass, a magnetic compass, and you go all the way thinking you're gonna get to the North Pole, you won't get a Santa's workshop, you're gonna get Canada, literally. It's actually a whole different thing. What happens is that there is a thing called True North, which is the northernmost tip of the planet. It's a fixed location. It's something that isn't gonna change, and so if we gauge our north based on a fixed position, we will always know where we are and where we're going. But magnetic north is a movable point under the crust of the Earth that our compasses are attracted to that is close enough to true north. And you can see the magnetic north and true north. There's the next picture after this. This shows you how um, true, uh, magnetic north has moved over the years. It's 1600 is all the way down there, and slowly but surely, it's, it's slowly made its way closer to the North Pole. Maybe it will hit one day, but who knows? But what I'm trying to say is that truth in today's context seems to be more about magnetic north. It's about what I'm attracted to. It's about something that is less fixed, less, less certain, but it's still like, oh, I feel like that's, that's right. And, and people seem to follow this sense of like, why do you need to have an absolute point of reference when, when I've got something that is more attractive? And the honest truth is that if you were traveling in the physical using a magnetic north rather than true north uh, setting, you will probably still get to the place that you want to get to, uh, provided that it's not, not a long distance. But the further you go following a different north to what true north is, the further you will find yourself from where you want to actually be. Make sense? And so what seems to happen is that the world doesn't get that our lives are short, that our lives on the hand are actually a very short distance. And magnetic north seems to get us to pretty good places. You know, you, you can still get a good job, you can experience the world through, uh, uh, through flying now, I guess. It's so easy to, to see the world, it's so easy to enjoy all of these amazing things, and, and people are going, oh, that's good enough for me. But what I've discovered is that life is short on earth, but eternity is a very long time. And if I'm trekking along uh, using magnetic north, which is slightly off from what true north is, it still takes me very far from where I want to end up. Eternity is a long distance away. And, and, and I want to make sure that I am fixed on something that is sure, something that is immovable. And this is, for us as Christians, that fixed, immovable point is Jesus. In, in John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Anyone, I don't know, no one comes to the Father except through me. And I want you to know how absolute Jesus' words are. And this is a weird thing, because lots of people say, I like that Jesus character, because he's nice, he heals people, and he's generally loving. 
But I don't like Christians. It's like, well, Jesus said some stuff that was extremely divisive. He did not say, I am a way, a truth, and a life. He said, I am the way, the truth, absolute, the life, and no one gets true life. No one comes to the Father. No one receives salvation except through me. And in fact, in Jesus, when Jesus continues to share and talk, we find him being very absolute and sometimes divisive. In Matthew 7, 13 to 14, Jesus says, Jesus, not Christians, Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow is the path that leads to life, and only a few find it. Only a few. Notice that Jesus didn't say that the narrow path is hidden. Notice that Jesus didn't say, I'm making it as hard as possible for people to find life. He's saying that there's a broad road and there's a narrow road. Now, there's a very narrow road leading up to our house. And sometimes it looks like it's hidden, but it's right there. You need to get right up to it and say, oh, there's a little path. And you drive down and then our house is over there. But it's not hidden. We are not trying to hide it. It's just that it's narrow. That's, that's the way it is. And, and Jesus isn't trying to hide the way. Jesus is simply saying it's not a very attractive option. It's a narrow road that leads to a narrow gate instead of a broad road that leads to a broad gate. Anyone and everyone can go through, but this one, sometimes you have to take that path one person at a time. One option at a time. Jesus did not mind letting us know that there's a narrow road and a narrow gate. And I think that this scares some people because what if Jesus is wrong? What if I'm on this narrow path and it's not really the path that leads to life? Shouldn't I have option B? Shouldn't I be able to know whether there are, that I can jump ship if Jesus proves to be false, if this whole Jesus lifestyle thing doesn't quite work out? Can't I have another option? I think that's what some people think about. But Jesus doesn't give us that option. Jesus doesn't really give us that way of thinking. But I think because we, we, we feel safer with options, sometimes I wonder whether people just don't feel safe around Jesus. You get what I mean? Have you ever thought about it that way before? It's like, I stake a lot of this Jesus thing. And in this church, Vic and myself have probably staked more Jesus than some of you guys, not most of you guys, because our livelihood is based on Jesus being real. <laughs> if Jesus isn't real, someone give me a plan B. Because I don't know what plan B looks like. I've been on this narrow path, heading towards that narrow gate, and it's like, well, yeah. You know what I mean? But I've learned that following Jesus isn't about surrendering options. You know, sometimes we talk about Christians being closed-minded. Is it being closed-minded if it's true? If it's unmovable, fixable truth? Are any of you closed-minded about gravity? Does any one of you jump and go, I want to be a bit open-minded about what happens after this? Why? Because gravity is a law, right? It's a truth for each and every single one of us. I'm not being closed-minded if I see a little kid on a ledge on the second story and I say, you shouldn't be doing that. I'm not being close-minded, am I? 
Well, maybe there's an option that that kid can fly. Have I thought about that? Yes, what's the likelihood of that happening? Zero. So am I going to save the child? Yes. Am I being close-minded? No. I'm operating according to truth. And that's what truth gives to us. And that's what the Bible actually teaches us about truth. In Psalm 119, 45 and 46, the psalmist writes, And I'll strive freely through wide open spaces as I look for your truth and your wisdom. Then I'll tell the world what I find. Speak out boldly in public, unembarrassed. Oh, the gate is narrow. Yes, the path is narrow. But does that mean that what is on the other side of this path isn't narrow? It's wide open spaces. We are not, we are cutting down some options now because that way when I pass that gate, I have wide open spaces. Truth gives me wide open spaces. Untruths allow you this broad path that leads you to a broad gate, but then what happens after that gate is narrow, is destruction. I don't, you know, as a pastor, I hear stories about people that think that they can get away with stuff. I'm going to get away with adultery. No, 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 no. You live according to that version of truth that I can do what I want to satisfy my needs. My wife is not meeting my needs, so I'm going to go on to an affair, and it's going to be okay because I'm just living out my human life, and I want to choose what I want to choose. Death, destruction. Maybe not in a physical sense, but something on the inside always dies. The truth differentiates between that and this, truth is always divisive, but truth is unshakable. And truth always gives us wide open spaces, confidence, freedom. Let me explain to you why truth brings you freedom through a story. I was in an army a, a while ago um, in Singapore, and one of the exercises we had to do was a navigational exercise. And we had to do, uh, we had to find six checkpoints. And um, my team was a really good team. I thank God that he gave me a good team because I'm terrible at um, navigation. Um, I had a really good team. And we smashed out the first three checkpoints. We get bang, bang, bang. Did them all. Easy. We hit the fourth checkpoint, and we couldn't find it. We, we, we retraced our steps, made our way, found ourselves in the same spot again, and we couldn't find a checkpoint. And so we started to go around in wider circles trying to see if we've missed it. And I uh, understand that we weren't just like dressed in this kind of stuff. We had 30 kilos on our back. So 30 kilos walking around in circles trying to find a point that we couldn't find. What do you think happened? We were drained. We were frustrated. We were angry. We got to a point where we were like, there was supposed to be a sergeant that was uh, manning the spot. And so we started shouting. We weren't supposed to do this, but we were just like, I don't want to walk another step. Let's just use our mouths. Um, and so we started shouting, Sergeant, where are you? We're here. Where's the boy? And we were just like, I literally got to break down. And then um, someone, uh, one of the teams, like, you know what, let's get point four and uh, point five and six first, then we'll come back to point four. We did that, and we smashed those two out again. So it's like, See, five out of six, we did it. We aren't that bad. We got back to point four and we couldn't find it. Just could not find it. We must have spent over an hour, maybe an hour, maybe even two hours altogether trying to find this stupid point. We 
we ended up giving up and we called our <clears throat> supervising officer for the day because he couldn't find it. And he came and he was all smug and he was all like, oh, so you can't find the spot, huh? So I'm like, it's like, well, you find it then. And <laughs> literally, the guy like, well, yeah, you can't. So where is it? I'm like, what, what, what has gone wrong? And he, 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 was, he, he had his GPS and, and all of that. And he was like, yeah, this is, <laughs> this is the point. And it's like, no one's here. It's like, yeah, we told you that. <laughs> no one's here. We had the right point, but no one is here. And uh, he ended up radioing the other um, sergeant who was meant to be manning the station, and he was two kilometers away. <laughs> he was using a faulty GPS. Wow. <laughs> and so he was in a completely wrong spot. Now, here's the thing, right? If you know that you are chasing after something, but that something has a movable point, how will you ever know where you are and how you're supposed to get? How will you know whether you're ever, ever on the right path or not? If truth is a movable point, then none of us ever know whether we are in truth or not. And when you don't have truth, you don't have an anchor point. You have no idea where you are, and you have no idea how to get anywhere. So what you do, you end up just going around in circles with all the load of your life on your back, and you're shouting around like, someone find me! But you're kilometers away from anyone that can hear you because you haven't got a clue of where you are or where the person's meant to be, where that thing is meant to be. You get drained and you get frustrated. An ability to say truth is relative is the ability to say that I'm okay not ever finding where I'm at. And if there's one thing I know about the human spirit is that when there is no certainty, we start to crumble. I was like literally in that exercise, I was finding my my spirit just getting weaker and weaker. My will was getting weaker and weaker. I was just like, let's just give up. I don't care if they punish us, I don't care if they keep us in for the next three weekends. We aren't gonna find this stupid place. And I'm wondering if that's why in our society, in our world today, we find so many people that are confused. And then to turn to the one organization, in my opinion, well, to me it's not an opinion, it's truth. In turn to the one organization that has a fixed point of reference for its life, and they say, you need to change. You need to be more like us. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't want to be like you. I don't want to be going through the rest of my life wondering where I'm at. I don't want to be going through the rest of my life wondering whether I've done enough good whether I have um, uh, uh, led the right life, done the right things. I don't want any of that. I don't want that weight on me. Instead, what I want to do is to know that I have done everything I can. I want to know that I'm setting myself up for eternity and not just this life. I want to know that there are things that I'm sure that I'm sure that I'm sure about. And that's what Jesus affords us. He says there is truth and then guess one more thing about an unmovable, unshakable truth? You can find it. Mm. An unmovable, unshakable truth cannot be found. Cannot be found. But what happens when you make an unmovable, unshakable truth subscribe to your understanding of magnetic force is that it loses its power to navigate you through life. 
And this is something why Christians, we cannot, we cannot subscribe to the idea of modernizing. We cannot subscribe to the idea of saying, well, that's a bit divisive, so we will tone that down. Because the moment we say Jesus doesn't need to say he's the way, the truth, and the life anymore, we also say that Jesus cannot calm the storms in your life. We say that Jesus might not always provide for you. Sometimes he might. He, we, we don't know whether salvation truly is enough because the Bible says it's enough, but then if we change those passages to be more inclusive, maybe that passage can't be true either. The Bible loses its potential to be powerfully navigating us through life when we stop it from being true. And for Christians, we need to examine ourselves. Are we living according to truth? Or are we not? It's actually quite simple. You are either in truth or you're not in truth. You're either all in or you're all out. There's no truth is divisive in that way. If you feel, if you like some things about Jesus, but you don't like other things about Jesus, are you real? Are you in truth or is God in truth? Do you get to pick and choose? I love that Jesus doesn't give us that option. But we have to decide for ourselves. And I think one of the things that we'll realize when we truly walk in truth is that we get to this point where we find things opening up for us. Wide open space. Wide open space. And I love what the psalmist then says. And I will shout it out publicly, boldly, unashamedly. Now Christians, I wonder whether we truly true life. I wonder whether we truly enter the gate because some of us are private, scared, and ashamed. If you're private, scared, and ashamed of Jesus, of who Jesus is and what he's doing in your life, perhaps it's because you haven't actually quite entered through the gate yet. You might be right at the gate. You might understand all the right stuff. Jesus died for your sin that he's giving you life, all that stuff. But you might be at the gate and you haven't got to a place yet. Oh my gosh. I truly don't have to worry. I truly don't have to be anxious. Maybe you need to enter through the gate, the gate of truth, before you open up that wide open spaces. And you go, oh, how can I not? How can I not tell my friends and my family about the fact that there's wide open spaces there's enough food for everyone here. And I just want to finish off by telling a bit of a, 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 an account in the Bible. It's found in John 6. And this is for anyone that thinks that Christianity tries to over-promote and under-deliver. Just like Ring of War. <laughs> way over-promise. Way over-promise. Um, and some people see Christianity as, as that. But when I look at Jesus' life, Jesus isn't in the marketing. There was this account in John chapter 6, and Jesus had just fed the 5,000 men, not including women and children, we don't know the full number, probably close to the 10 to 12,000 people. Jesus fed them with five loaves and two fish. Many of us know the story, you can read it for yourself, amazing story. And then um, next up, uh, so when he fed the, the 5,000 people, they loved Jesus so much that they were going to try to make him king right in that moment. They were like, let's make Jesus king. He fed us fish and bread. 
Jewish people are quite simple back in the day. And uh, she's like, no, that's not God's plan for my life. So he, he somehow manages to avoid them, and he retreats to a mountain. At that point in time, his disciples somehow lost track of him while he was getting away, and they decided to get into a boat and go to the other side of the sea. And, and they were in a boat, and a storm whips up. They get all scared, and then they see Jesus walking on the water with them. So in this one chapter, you've got Jesus feeding the 5,000 and then walking on water. Pretty crazy, hey, the things that Jesus does. And, and, and so he gets onto the boat. The moment Jesus uh, steps foot into the boat, the boat lands on the other side. They are in a town, a town called Capernaum. And then Capernaum and the crowds are like, where's Jesus? We need to find him. And they find him in Capernaum. And this is what happens next. They say to Jesus, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do? What, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Now this is a really interesting exchange. Because what happened is that these guys were all already like Jesus is the bomb. We love Jesus. They come to him and he says to them pretty offensively, pretty divisively, you don't come to me because you see the truth. You come to me because I did something for you that fed your belly and was therefore attractive to you. You're not quite looking at true north, even though true north is in front of you. You're still looking at magnetic north. What can I get out of this? And as Jesus continues, he says, don't do that. Don't go towards magnetic north. Go towards true north. And, and what is their response? What must we do to do the work that God requires? And, and when you look at what Jesus says, right? He said nothing about doing in order to get God's acceptance. They came with their preconceived notions of what God is like, and then they saw Jesus, and, and, and Jesus was saying, don't go after that, go after the eternal stuff. And he's like, oh, okay, eternal stuff. Now, now he's talking about works. I'm not talking about works, guys. Why are you trapped in your space when true north is standing in front of you? And, and that's what he was saying. He knew what was going on in their hearts. And so Jesus continues to tell them, talk to them. He says, very truly I tell you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. When Jesus said this, the Bible reports that the disciples, these people who have been chasing after Jesus, they saw him do all that stuff, and they went all around the sea in order to find him again. They found him, and he said, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. He said, all of them except 12 left. Remember, the crowd was 5,000 men, not including women and children. Maybe not all of them made a track across the sea. Maybe there's still 5,000. Maybe there's 1,000. I reckon there's at least 1,000. Out of that 1,000, Jesus could have still gone, hey, it's a great marketing opportunity. I've got a whole bunch of disciples now. Let's do something with this thousand and we can build 
church with this. Jesus could have put on a great marketing campaign. He would say, follow the sun. You get free food. I think we do that sometimes. But Jesus didn't care for any of that. He said, stuff that hurt. <laughs> Out of whoever came, 12 stayed. Jesus isn't in the business of convincing you. Jesus isn't in the business of convincing you. Jesus is in the business of being the truth. Our job is whether we accept the truth or not. And maybe we don't get what he was saying in this passage, but when he said, you need to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, is a very graphic thing. But what he was saying is that you have all of me or you have none of me. You either follow everything I say or you follow nothing of what I say. There is no in-between in this thing. And some of the disciples was like, but I've got my own business. I've got my own family. I've got my own life. I've got my own pursuits. I've got my own desires. What are you saying about that? Well, lay them aside. Eat my flesh. Drink my blood. And you will have life. What you've got is a copycat. It is a broad road, it is a broad gate that leads to destruction. But I am a narrow path, and I am a narrow gate, but I'm leading you to wide open spaces. I'm not in the business of trying to convince you. I think I wanted to. When we started putting out this series, I don't like that. I was like, I'm going to have to come up with some really clever stuff to convince some really stubborn people about who God is. And, and the more I've been doing this series, the more I'm like, God's just putting on my heart, it's like, why do you need to convince anyone when I didn't? I simply was. So if you find yourself in a place where you've been searching for peace, you've been searching for hope, you've been searching for an anchor point for the rest of your life, but you can't find it in anything. You know, I, I saw a, a little clip the other day by Jim Carrey and a, a guy who accomplished everything that he wanted to accomplish. He said, at the end of everything, after all my goals were met, I was still empty. That's the story of humanity. We've been chasing after magnetic wall, giving our ideas to magnetic wall, and we end up in a completely different continent to where God has got us. Can we get the band up as well? God is just staring at me right now, and I don't really know exactly how to land this baby. And, um, but what I'm sensing is I, I want to put a call out. I want to put a call out to people who have been chasing and chasing. Jesus didn't push anyone away. But when they were with him, he always presented truth. Why did he present truth? It wasn't because he was unloving. It was exactly because he was saying, you're on the wrong path, mate. Probably didn't say mate. <laughs> he said, you're on the broad road. That's not where I want you to be. I've got to tell you, there's a path to listen. It's a path that looks, looks like you're surrendering options. It looks like you're saying no to you're saying yes to walking through a gate that leads you into wider views. Leads you into the place of truth.
place of true rest that no one can steal from you. And the honest truth is, I'm still on a journey of discovering more and more of God. I've done things, I try to do things in my own strength. Even as a pastor, I found myself drained and frustrated and weak. And I'm like, God, why aren't you with me as what I'm doing? Where are you, God? And God says, well, you're not handing anything over. And it hurts when God tells the truth. It hurts when God says to you, you still don't trust. You still haven't got it worked out after all these years. You've got an unforgiveness issue that you're not letting go of. You've got a lordship issue. You're not allowing me to be me in your life. You're still holding back. You still want all of those things. You still want control of your own life. And that's the stuff that leads you on a round-the-world trip to everywhere except where you need to be. And so if you're tired of that this morning, if you're tired of chasing and getting more, why don't you be close-minded with me? I'm looking for truth. I'm looking for an anchor point in my life that doesn't it gives me confidence for yesterday, today, and forever. My past has been dealt with, my present is provided for, and my future is secure. I've got that. Why? Because I've got true laws guiding me. I've got Jesus in my life. There is truth to be found. Truth is unshakable, unmovable, and can be examined And if our church is to grow, if our church is to increase its impact as we continue on on this journey, we need to stop looking at other people's opinions. And we need to start knowing what is it that I believe. I believe that Jesus brings life. I'm going to be unashamed about that. Come on. I believe that God is a healer. Well, I'm going to be unashamed about that. Even though the circumstances haven't quite lined up yet, I'm going to be close-minded to all of those other options because I have found truth. It hasn't changed. And I'm going after it. So this morning, why don't we all stand? talk to two groups of people. The first group of people are those who have never made a um, made a commitment to have Jesus in your life as your Lord and your Savior. If that is you this morning, you are like a person who has taken a really courageous walk down a narrow road and you're at a narrow gate right now. There's still fear. There's still that thought of what if this why don't you take that courageous step of saying, I'm walking through this gate. I'm finding life. If it is you this morning, I want to lead you into a prayer. It's a prayer that acknowledges that we are all sinners, that we have fallen short of the glory of God, that we deserve death, we deserve whatever consequences that sin puts on us. But we also have a God that came, died on the cross for our sin, rose again on the third day so that we have victory over death. Come on. If that is you this morning, why don't you say this prayer with me? Every Christian, why don't you also say this prayer with me? Let's set an atmosphere of faith this morning. Dear God, Dear God. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I have fallen short. I know that I have fallen short. But I invite you into my life. I invite you into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Lord. And my Savior. And my Savior. Live in me. Live in me. Breathe in me. Breathe in me. Make me whole. Make me whole. Help me 
to see for me to see the wide open spaces the wide open spaces that you've given to me amen thank you for tuning in today if you would like to find out more about lift check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au